Hello and welcome to the third and final programme in our series from Bishop Auckland Heritage Festival for 2022. Bishop Auckland has a proud sporting heritage, especially in the worlds of football, cricket and horse racing. And in this week's programme we'll be sharing memories with some of the people that were present during the most important moments in local sporting history. Gillian caught up with local sports historian and former Crooktown player John Phelan to find out more. Joined by John Phelan here on 105.9 Bishop FM. Um, John, you've got a long history, haven't you, of reporting on sports stories. Do you want to give us a little bit of background about yourself? Please? I've always been football mad and cricket mad. I always loved football and cricket yeah. and maybe horse racing. So in some respect, it took, it's taken over my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty lucky, I think, in a lucky position that I can look back uh, on what I've seen or what I did and what I was involved in and be able to write about it in the newspaper. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I've been working for the Northern Echo, doing sports memories stuff for, for, for nearly 20 years. Wow. I didn't start off doing that. I started off doing grassroots crook for, for Peter Barron when he was um, editor. But I asked him if I could do a sports memories column and, and he said yes, so I did a 300 word little column down the side of the paper on local heroes. And then round about 2015, a girl called Steph Clark, who was a sports reporter for the Echo, started doing a column called Sport Archives. Now it's pretty, uh, she had a lot, you know, when you're a sports reporter, she explained to me that she has a lot on uh, getting stories for the newspaper. And she was finding sport archives, maybe a little bit of a nuisance. Mm. So she said to me, would you like to help? Uh, and, and you do, maybe do it one week, and I do it the next. And I said, yes, I would help her. So one week I would do sport archives and the next week she would do it. And we went on like that for quite a while, maybe six months to a year. Then she left. So I had to do it to carry on, to keep sport archives going. I did it. Uh And I was left with the responsibility uh, uh, of uh, doing it. That's how it came, the sports report. Of course, it's a popular column, isn't it? So you wouldn't want to lose it. Well, oh, no, I enjoy doing it. I put my heart and soul into it and I like to mm. remind people of what happened in the past locally. I stick mainly to local teams, but now again we, we do the, the big teams like um, Borough and, and Middlesbrough and, and Newcastle. Sorry, Newcastle, Sunderland and Borough. And also look at maybe Durham in the, in the cricket world. But normally I keep it to grassroots level. What, did you play? And for any of the teams? Is that where you're in? Tr- well, where look, uh, yes, I did, I did, I did play. I mean, at school, I wasn't maybe good enough to get on the school team at football, mm-hmm. but I did play the odd game for the school team at football. But I was better at cricket, and I got on the the school team for cricket. You know, sometimes maybe he's playing in in, in the year above, um, and I always remember that. And then when I left school, I got involved in playing for local football teams. I mean, North Bitchburn, a little village near where I live. I played cricket for them. Started in 1967. I remember my first year mm-hmm. with North Bitchburn, 1967. And then my first football team was like Howdenley. We were on a Sunday. We had a Sunday team. Played friendlies to start. 
So I started playing football with Howdley Weir. Sometimes I was a goalie, then I'd be centre forward. I wasn't too fussed, but I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. and, and we had a player called uh, Tony Butterfield at Howden who played for Crook and sometimes he would organise a game between Howdenley Weir and Crook because wow. Crook were in the Northern League mm -hmm. and of course the village people used to think it was great. Mm -hmm. We used to get a canny crowd and uh, playing in those games was great. I thought it was fantastic. You know, Crook Town playing Howdenley Weir and, and a big crowd and you were playing. You know, it was something to look forward to, yeah. Yeah, but an awful lot of players started to those that Sunday league, didn't they? I would, uh, yes, uh, quite a few would, yes. Uh, mm. I mean, then I started playing on, on a Saturday for uh, North Beachburn Fireclay Company, which was like the brickworks at mm. the end of Valley Terrace near Howden. So I, was, I played for them again, sometimes in goal, sometimes centre forward. Then Marshall, I played for Marshall Richards after that. The factory, the factory and crew. Then I had a season at Newfield, which was 1974 to 75. So I played for Newfield. We won the Darlington Charity Cup, I remember. And then the following season, I signed on for Crew Town Reserves. And I do remember the reserves playing the first team at the start of the season in a friendly mm -hmm. on the Crook's ground. And we beat them four, nil or four, one, I scored all four goals. And I was thinking, ah, oh, am I getting in the first team here? Uh -huh. Well, it didn't work out, you know, it didn't work <laughs> out like that. But, but, but they got a new manager, um, Gordon Jones, who I'd played for Middlesbrough, was an England B international. And he started saying that the, the reserve team lads would be quite welcome at first team training sessions. So myself and a couple of other lads, we started going to train with the first team. One Saturday morning in February, there was a knock on the door. I went to one scene, it was a reserve team manager, Arthur Bainbridge. He said, I've got some good news and some bad news for you. He said, which do you want first? I <laughs> said, I'll have the bad news, please, Arthur. He said, you substitute today. I was going to give him a mouthful because I didn't want to be substitute <laughs> for the reserves. I didn't. I hated being sub, so I was about to give him a mouthful, and he said, "But he says the good news is you're substitute for the first team." You see, so this is February 1976. So substitute for Crook, and, and we were playing Bishop Auckland, you know, Crook Town's biggest rivals ever in amateur in amateur non-league football. So you know, so that was. A good, uh, the pinnacle of my like football career. I played about seven or eight games for Crook at the at the end of the 1975-76 season. They had a tour of India at the end of the season, but I wasn't good enough to go on it. So, what a shame. Uh, well, I wasn't bothered. I wasn't bothered one way or the other. But I enjoyed playing the, the football. Uh, maybe I was a better cricketer than a footballer. I don't know, but uh, I just enjoyed it. You know, I loved it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and when you love something, you know, you like to keep it going and be involved all the time, you know. So you must have had some favourite players then, no? Some real, seen some real characters Well, well, as a schoolboy, mm -hmm. my favourite player was a player called Seamus O'Connell. Okay. Who I never met, mm -hmm. I never met, but I did speak to him on the phone before he passed away. Seamus, in 1954-55, which is a long time ago. 
he was playing for Chelsea in Division One. Made his debut on a Saturday, October the sixteenth, nineteen fifty-four, against Manchester United at Stamford Bridge. Scored a hat trick against Manchester United, but Man, Man United still won six-five. Now, in the same that same season, he was playing for Bishop Auckland in the Amateur Cup. Really? Yeah. Wow. So, he Chelsea won the league that year. Mm. So he won a Division One Championship medal with Chelsea, and an Amateur Cup winners medal with Bishop Auckland. Now he came to Crook. He was a Bishop player, and when Bishop played Crook, I used to dread him. I was. I hope he's injured today because I knew how good he was. You know, he could destroy Crook. I knew he could. And I used to watch him come in on Saturday. Oh, he limping. You know what I mean? I used to be like that. But he came to Crook. For the 1958-59 season, and I said to my dad, I said, Dad will win the cup with O'Connell in the team. I was only about eight or nine year old at the time. But we did win the cup, and he played an integral part in the winning of the cup. And like in the final itself, he laid on a couple of goals for two other lads. Now, he stayed until 19, about Christmas, 1960. And then he went back to Bishop Auckland. Then he came again to Crook in 1963, in 1963-64 season. And I, I thought, great. I mean, because to me, he, he was everything. He was class. Lazy mind, lazy, but he was class. And he, and he was a terror with the women. I'm not going to say any stories about women, but he made George Best look like a choir boy. I'll tell you that for nothing. You know, I didn't know that, but I've learned it since. Uh -huh. But he came back in 63, 64, and in the first round of the Amateur Cup, we played at home to Stanley United, just Stanley up, the, which was a local derby. They hated us because they were a little club and we were a big club. At Crook, it was 1-1, draw 1-1, tight, hard game. You know, I wasn't confident of Crook beating Stanley at Stanley, but we went up the next Saturday, and the gr for miles, as far as you could see, the ground was that colour. Mm -hmm. Not with snow, but with a hard, stinking hard frost, clanking hard frost. Everything was white. <laughs> Rooftops, roads, the grass. We were gone into Stanley football ground. They wouldn't have thought about a game today. But it was a rock hard. Crook, the Crook coach brought some baseball boots for the Crook players to play in to get a better grip. Mm -hmm. And O'Connell was in his element because he just had the class to rise above these conditions. He scored a hat-trick and we won a 5-1 a away at Stanley, which was unheard of. Stanley getting beat 5-1 at home, but O'Connell was the man that day, a hat-trick. And then a little before that, we had played Chesterfield in the FA Cup, and the Crook Committee dropped him. Played a young lad called John Cocken. I like John Cocken, but he wasn't Seamus O'Connell. And Crook lost that game simply because they didn't play O'Connell, you know. Mm -hmm. So he stayed, he stayed with the club for about half that season, then he disappeared. And I asked some of the, the crook players 
uh, of the time later, you know, like maybe a few years ago, I was talking to Jimmy Macmillan, and I would say, I said, I would say, Jimmy, what happened to Seamus? In 1964, why didn't he go on? Because he got the final that year. I said he could have played at Wembley in the final. He said he either asked for more money or he fell out with the coach, George Ward. That's what Jimmy McMillan said. You know, because he was very money oriented at Seamus O'Connell, you know. Mm -hmm. He was the big star. He could come man what he wanted. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I had a, he was my favourite, but I had other favourites. I mean, Bert Stewart and, and go, the old goalie Fred Jerry. I can tell you this story. When I was either four or five, my fourth or fifth birthday, for some reason, my parents stopped behind after the game and were stood in what they call the paddock area of the standard crew, you know, just in front of the seats they were stood after the game. And Fred Jerry and Bert Stewart, who had been playing for Crook, walked out. And somehow they got talking to me, mum and dad. And I remember my mum and my dad saying to them, it's John's birthday today. So Fred Jerry and Bert Stewart both gave me half a crown. So when I got home, I remember saying to my mum, mum, I've got five shillings. I won't have to be able to buy some sweets with all, with all this money. She said, don't spend them, keep them. Because they're from Fred and Bert keep them and she put them in a little Woolworths bag, paper bag. I still have them today. Oh wow. In that bag. That's little cute. paper. Now and again I, I bring them out and look at them and think. Mm -hmm. And Bert, Bert, they both passed away. I never met Fred but I was good mm -hmm. friends with Bert Stewart. And when we started our Durham Amateur Football Trust, we invited players to come along for talkings and film shows and that. And Bert Stewart always came and we always got big crowds, you know, a lot of people came. And they used to say to me, because of you, John, that all this is happening. Uh, well, you know, which was nice. But when he died, I, I went, to, you know, I went to the funeral, etc. And it was nice, nice to be at his funeral, Bert Stewart, you know. Mm -hmm. But I never met Fred. Fred was a big, big bloke, mm -hmm. you know, dive, very brave, dive headfirst at people's feet, you know, to stop <laughs> That was Fred. If you found that interesting and would like to hear more from that interview with John Phelan, you can find the full interview on our website at bishopfm.com. Now, last weekend, Bishop FM managed to catch up with some of our local sporting heroes at the Durham Amateur Football Trust exhibition at King James I Academy. Here's Gillian again, this time speaking to local amateur football legends Ray Snowball and Bill Roughly about their careers with various local amateur teams and the thrill of playing for their teams at Wembley. Do you mind, can I ask you to introduce yourselves, please? I'm Ray Snowball, was Crooktown goalkeeper in the 50s. And you are? Bill Ruffley, uh, inside forward in the 60s and 70s. Uh -huh. And who did you play for, Bill? Uh, who did I not play for, Beazia? Um I played at Avonwood, Durham City, Crooktown, Bishop Auckland, um, Spennymoor and Shildon. Wow, that's some career, isn't it? Yeah. So over 20, he was a good player, amateur international, Billy. Uh -huh. over, over 20 years that was, so. Right. From being 17 to 37, I played. Yeah, that's not a bad age either, is it, to retire at? No, I, I was uh, player manager after that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. 
Oh, that's a play there. I played all over, you know. So what's brought you along today to this exhibition by Durham Amateur Football Trust? Well, John Phelan, who's connected with them, told, told, told us about it and said there wasn't many of us left now who were players. And so he mentioned Bill was coming and uh, he's been a great pal of mine for years. I was before Bill's time because I'm 90 now. So uh, so I played in the early 50s, and then Bill came as a young boy. So he's still a young man to me. He, a good player, Bill. He, he wasn't a player in the 50s. He was a player in the 60s as well, I can tell you. He, he played in goal for Croke when we won the Amateur Cup in 1964. Okay. And the likes of Rhea and lots... Well, quite a few other seasoned players that had the experience were there, they were the main players at Crook and they were the ones who actually helped more to win the Amateur Cup than anybody else and Ray was definitely one of them and not only is he a, a good goalkeeper he's a smashing bloke <laughs> I'm going to pay him later. <laughs> and he owes me a fortune. <laughs> now, I've got to say, now I know both your names are pretty famous in this area, aren't you, for linked to football. You must have... I, I don't even know how to ask this, but you must have been really passionate about the game when you were playing. Well, yes, definitely. Uh, but everyone was in the 50s and 60s amateur football. I mean, we've got big gates, you know, four or five thousand or more. And then look how Wembley was filled for cup finals. And I still remember, uh, although I was only young at the time and a reserve when they played Bishop Auckland three times in the amateur cup, Wembley draw. Newcastle draw and then Ayrson Park. And the total gates for the three matches were about 200,000 people. Well, there were 100,000 at Wembley then. Then there's a replay at Newcastle, 60, and then a second replay at Ayrson Park, 40. Think of those gates nowadays. That was that, what the, that's what football was like then in amateur football. And of course, Bishop Alton and Crook were two of the top teams then. And happy, happy days. Why, why do you think it was so popular back then? Why was football the main thing, particularly in big villages? I think well, there wasn't television as much in those days to keep you at home. It just started to come in <coughs> in the 50s, uh, te television. Uh, and, and people have got so many other things now, I suppose. But I don't know what you think, though. But... Well... Well, it, the way I look at it, in this area, yeah, you had lots of good amateur sides. Uh, and, of course, they were very, very well supported. I think one of the reasons why they were very well supported, the people didn't have cars, or very few people had cars in the 50s and even early 60s. So if they wanted to watch professional football, they had to travel to Sunderland, right, which was... 30, 35 miles away. Newcastle, a similar distance. Or Middlesbrough, again, a similar distance. So it wasn't easy to get to these grounds, but it was easy for us, because it was all in this area, in the Bishop Auckland area, really, the Northern League in those days. I think 
in the 50s, I think there was only 14 teams in the Northern League. And they were all in this, in this vicinity, apart from, I think, Penrith and Whitby. Um, so the, what I'm saying is that people didn't have to travel very far for to go and see that team's play, you know. And of course, they were successful teams, weren't they? Nationally, I'm talking about. And the Northern League was a very successful league. They, they kept themselves. You couldn't, teams couldn't just come into the Northern League and play. Uh, they were very selective. And I mean, Bishop and Crook kept the. And then you'd got Shildon and Westover later on. All kept the league going. Very famous league, the Northern League. And they still dominate it, really, those sides, don't they? Yeah. I know they, well, they bounce up and down a little yeah. bit in the league tables nowadays. We've just got to look at but, the exhibition of photographs from the past, you know, how popular it was. Look at photographs of the gate, full full houses, weren't they? Yeah, there is. Uh, I don't know, I might be all right being a goalkeeper. I'd time to look around like that. <laughs> uh, I'm just you know. looking at the photographs. <laughs> Uh, well, to be honest, I couldn't tell you when he was in the, in a oh, gate. No, or, no, no. I was so sort of involved with the game that even at Wembley, you know, uh, uh, people kept saying, "Why oh, did you see this?" I know I didn't. You know, I just. I mean, you, that it was to play football, basically. I mean, you're talking. You've just mentioned crowds of 100, 200,000. What was it like playing in front of that kind of crowd? Uh, I never thought of it. I just went out there and. When he first went out there, say Wembley, you know, when he was all these big gates. Uh, yeah, you know, he saw, but once that game started, it just forget yeah. about all that. Yeah. Wembley, so, the crowd seemed to be a good way away from the playing area anyway. And uh, it's different now, but in those days, the changing rooms were behind one of the goals. And it was such a wide area that the coaches, the buses that brought the teams, drove, drove into it and parked in there, out in that empty. And then, you, when you, uh, when the, it was time to the second, never mind the minute, football association representatives were there, and you had to be out. It lined up at a certain time, and they walked in front of you, so they had the pace to get out, because they were always. They were always dignities, you know, waiting to shake hands with, so everything had a good time. And there was a special booklet with them, even a plan of how the team stood, because the first team that you met, the officials and the captain were, were met, uh, they were introduced to the dignitary, and the captain took him down, introduced the players, and then the opposition, with straight across on the opposite, opposite side, on the opposite corner, they did the same thing. Down the one shaking hands, and then finished shaking hands with the team of his referee and linesman. And then the dignitaries, whoever they were, then took their place for the match to start. But uh, oh, it, was, it was like a dream, wasn't it, playing at Wembley? That was Gillian speaking to local footballing heroes Ray Snowball and Bill Ruffley. Gillian was also lucky enough to catch up with former Shildon chairman Gordon Brewis, who, like both Ray and Bill, had trials for some of the biggest professional football clubs in the country, but chose to remain close to home to pursue a career in a different profession. So I'm with Gordon Brewis, the former Shildon player. Um, 
garden now where you've been playing football for a while, haven't you? Yes. Um, give us a little potted history of your career. Well, I started at Lee Home School. Played for the first team when I was in the first year. Played for the district boys and the county school boys. And then had trials with Chelsea, had a season with Wolves. Trials offered at Sunderland, um, Southampton and Liverpool. I played uh, in the Northern League at Towlow, a little bit of children. But uh, when I was 22, 23, I developed ulcerative colitis, which meant that I couldn't play at that level. So when I was fit, I played in the District League, just as and when I could, really. At uh, the same time, I was playing cricket. Uh, played for Bishop Auckland. Started at Cowden. Went on to Evenwood, Shildon, uh, and finished at Shildon. I became chairman of Shildon, and then uh, more or less retired after that. Mm -hmm. Still play a bit of golf, but uh, that's all. Yeah. So many players play both football and cricket. Yes. Was that common back in back in your day? Yes. Yeah. Yes, the cricket. Um, I played cricket till I was nearly 50. Football, I was 43, but as I said, only locally because of the ulcerative colitis. But um, I played cricket till I was about 53. But Jack Watson, he played until he was 74 and still getting, uh, he was playing the children at the time with me. Wow. And uh, he was, he played for Northumberland and Durham. Yeah. He, was a, he was a really good player, not like me. But I retired then and became chairman of children. And now I say I just play a little bit of golf at the Oakleaf at, at Aircliff. Um, so um, now I understand you've played with some big names, particularly working in your trials with other clubs. Um, well, well, who have you played with? Played with Jimmy Greaves at uh, Chelsea. He, he, he'd just gone into the first team. And when I was down there on trial, he was injured. Just coming back, he played in the match uh, for the juniors. Mm -hmm. So I played against Jimmy, and that really the claim to fame, because ah. he was a real footballer, Jimmy. And I, met him, footballer, wasn't I met him about 25 years ago. He was giving a talk at Rishi Ford, uh, and we had a talk then, and then uh, obviously now he's dead, but he was a real footballer. Coming here today has brought back memories, things that have happened, like reading the books in there. Players have played against, like Brian Henderson of Darlington, he tripped me on the edge of the penalty area and I fell down on the penalty spot and the referee didn't see it. He just touched the back of my heel and made me stumble. Down I went. And he went, Brian was nowhere near. As I went past him, he just turned and laughed. <laughs> he was a character, Brian. You said that you also had another career. What did you do for a living? Well, I started life as a toolmaker, a talent at Aircliffe. And then I went for trials with Wolves and uh, got the sack when I came back. So I went to Darkham Engineering in about 1957, and I was there 40 years. Went from apprentice toolmaker to draftsman, and ended up manufacturing engineering manager. So I say I was there 40 years. And then I've been retired 25 years. Should be doing my gold watch in August. Well, August gone. But uh, 25 years, 
It's been the best job I've ever had then. Yeah. And yet, and so many people back in the, I guess, 50s, 60s, were had to make the choice, didn't they, between yes. working or football? That's right. Yeah. Like you couldn't live on six pounds a week. Yeah. I was making more than that as an apprentice toolmaker, right. and playing amateur with the money in your boot. Um, you couldn't really afford. If I'd been good enough, I couldn't really afford to turn pro. Mm. Do you think that's held back a lot of very good players? Oh, it certainly did in those days. Uh, a lot of players that uh, just couldn't afford to turn pro. Right. I've had a good life, really. Inter still interested in sport, still able to get around. I don't bother much with the cricket now. It, uh, it's too long. It, when you're going down there at 2 o'clock and uh, 1 o'clock now as they start, and it goes on all day. Um, I played football at 43 and cricket now at 55. My wife got a bit sick of that. Now, when I started playing golf, she said, mind you, are not playing weekends. So I only play once a week during this. Yeah. That was Julian speaking to Gordon Brewis, former player and chairman of Shieldon AFC. Last week's Durham Amateur Football Trust exhibition at King James I Academy brought out a number of famous names in local amateur football. Here's Newton Acliffe lad and honorary vice president of the Durham FA, Don Cowan, talking about his long and successful career in the sport. I played for Bowburn Juniors, but while playing for Bowburn Juniors, Middlesbrough had watched me play and they kept getting me to play odd games to them in the Wayside League when I was 14. And I got into the reserve team after that. And in 1947, I went in the RAF. I had to go. You're supposed to only go for two years, but you got three years due to the war overseas and that. And um, while I was in the RAF, played for the RAF, RAF, and I. They let me off on a Saturday to play for Ainsbury Rovers in the United Counties League First Division, along with all a lot of West Ham players and all all good players. I played for them for two years. I got 12 county cups while I was there for Huntington, Hunts FA, and then I came left. I came out in 1950, and had a couple of games for Bowburn Corrie Welfare. And Dalton picked me up, and I went to Dalton then, and I was in from 1951 to 19, oh, 57, 58, when I got an injury. I'd only played 20-odd goals in the first team, but the reason for that was we had players who were married in the first team with three kids and they couldn't afford to lose. They only went down a pound in the reserves. They were on 12 and we were on 10. And um, we used to go to Cattery camp once a month where all the lads come and did the army service. Albert Quicksall and the lad called Pinney Quicksall played for England. Finney played a while for England, not the great Tom Finney. And they used to say to me, John, if you don't move for this team, you'll end, you'll end your career here. And he, he, he said, we'll, we'll take you, don't sign this year and come bring you to Sheffield Wednesday. We said, didn't do, I stayed with them. And I played 200 games in the reserves in the... In the Oh, what well, the call of league in them days, not the Northern League, the other one. Um, 
As a scout, who's the best player you've seen, do you think? Well, I come home from work one day and Trimden were playing. And my daughter said, get her over there, there's a good player over there. He wasn't that big. I said, well, he's a good player. It was Colin Cobber, he played for England as well. I got, I, I got him, I got him fixed up, taken for training at Middlesbrough every Thursday. And then he got into the first team and then he got, uh, fell out with him. He had a good manager and he went to Middlewall. And anyhow, he was due to sign on again for Middlesbrough, but the Millwall manager took him. Anyhow, he was a nice fella. He hadn't been there long, the Brian Clough picked him up and gave him £100,000 signing on fee in them days. And it was a lot of money. And um, he was a lovely lad, Colin. And well, um, the ex-Blackburn uh, manager, who was now a Sunderland manager, He's just gone to Sunderland now. Now, he was 11 year old when I saw him playing. And then he had quite a lot of years at Middlesbrough. And, uh, Tony Mowbray. Aye. Eh? Gavardini. Gavardini. Uh, he, <clears throat> he was playing for Middlesbrough and they let him go. And the Huddersfield scout said, What can I do with him? I said, Do you mind if we get him to go to Sunderland? He says, all right. He went to Sunland, come to Sunland. He played for England, Gavardini. His wife, his, his, his dad was called Sylvia, Italian. It was an Italian name. And his mum was Chris. And they lived outside where the racing's on in York. They lived near there. If I wanted to go and watch the racing, I could go and stop there and just... And I missed that many... Brian Atkinson did well. He's running near Cliff now, Brian. He was seven year old when I picked him up, Brian. And um, he played for England a few times. Um, I'm trying to think of the other lads. Uh, I got, I would think 300 in the football, no bother. Aye, yeah. And uh, I mean, Colin Bell was a great hitting lad. And he went to uh, Manchester City. I went a uh, good side. Mm -hmm. He was a very good player. Bobby Robson, my friend. Bobby, when, when we were 14 and we were playing for our teams, we used to go into Durham bus station, get on the bus to go to where uh, waterhouses all over the place. Mm -hmm. And Bobby Robson played for Langley, Langley Park, mm -hmm. Bobby. He was a little bit younger than me, Bobby. Aye. Anyhow, I went to see, I took the ball boys to Wembley, the Gateshead lads, and nine of them got away into football. And I walked in the dressing room and the, the, he said to me, you can only get the shorts and stockings, you can't get the shirts. I said, so, that's all right. I, I was on the way out, he said, I know you, don't you? I said, I should do, you saw me every bit of week in Durham Bus Station. John, he says, John Cowan, aye. And um, when I come out of there, they're playing East Germany that day. And their manager come out, he says, bring the kids in here. They all went in there and they all got a full strip each. Wow. Yeah, what a, a lovely people, aye, East Germans, aye. So I've been football a long time, Pat. Mm -hmm. 70, 
Sporting history was such an important part of Bishop Auckland's heritage and Bishop FM's Stuart Laundie caught up with Terry Jackson from Bishop Auckland Football Club about the club's Sporting Memories Project, which is designed to bring people with a passion for local sport together to talk about their most vivid memories. Uh, So I'm joined this afternoon by Terry Jackson from Bishop Auckland Football Club. But we're not talking about matters on the field this week. We're talking about uh, a group within the club called Sporting Memory. So, Terry, first of all, welcome along to Bishop FM. Thank you, Stuart. Good to be here. And uh, if you can, first of all, just explain a little bit about what Sporting Memories is. Right. The Sporting Memories Network is a basically a national charity with about 100 online and uh, location-based clubs up and down the country. And we host one at Bishop Auckland Football Club, Heritage Park, and we are really one of the only two north of Yorkshire in England. Uh, the, the idea really is to encourage people who perhaps are suffering from loneliness, depression, dementia, anything. Um, if you just want to come along and talk a little bit about sport, just come along to Sporting Memories at Heritage Park. And is it all football or do you cover all sorts of sports? No, it's a good point because we, whilst we're naturally a football club, we, we will cover anything and we are really keen to to get guests in, guest speakers to talk about their sport. And I'll give you an example. We had uh, Steve Colwell in from Bishop Auckland Rugby Club a few weeks ago and he talked about the background of the club and how that's uh, been managed over the years and things like the 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 development of ladies rugby at, at Bishop Auckland Rugby Club. Uh, we've also had in uh, Stephen Brinkley, the uh, ex-correspondent of the, uh, the Independent, and also Stephen Chapman from Bishop Auckland Cricket Club. Uh, the, the others we've had, the speakers I'm talking about here really, are mainly football, and the audience is largely football, but we really want to uh, talk about any sport, any sport at all really, um, so how how did you how or how did the club come to to hear about this thing and, and what was the what was the sort of guiding force the reason for getting involved? Well, I think the first thing was we we had a um, we had a guy called Roy Cavana who's uh, the club ambassador. Roy is um, Manchester United Football Club best author, and he he was involved in setting up the the uh, the the clubs with sporting memories, and he tipped us off about whether you know we should be getting involved. So we did. We inquired. Um, and after effectively the COVID, the, 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 the lockdown, we were able to kickstart the club on a fortnightly basis. Um, and realistically, we've just taken the bat on and, and ran with it, in, in short. And how have you managed to spread the word about it? I mean, is, 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 does, do plenty of people know about it? It's a, it's, it's a critical point, Stuart, because I think that's the, probably the, the key area, because we, uh, within the club... Everybody knows about it, and we, we we put stuff out on social media prior to each meeting, and photos after each meeting. Uh, we have guests that, um, uh, fr- frankly, you'd pay money for at evening functions. But the the reality is at the moment we we're not getting as many of uh, people who aren't involved with sport in Bishop Auckland or the area as much as we'd like to. So we'd like to expand it. Uh, I think there are many things we can do with the NHS and the like, but clearly this is a, it's a volunteer-run operation and we can only do so much. But at the moment, it's very healthy and we've got a core membership of anywhere between 12 and 15 people. And the, 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 the ones who come simply won't miss a session. I'm guessing as well, um, 
I might be I might be wider than Mark with this, but I'm thinking that the sort of the people who would come along to your sporting memories aren't going to be the sort the sort who are active on social media and and things like that. So so getting the word around the town is important. Yes, and it it, it we we've got a lot of work to do there. I think the the uh, the, the key point for us was to establish the initiative, and we've now been running it uh, funnily enough for. Uh, 12 months it's 12 months this month so we'll have had about i guess about 25 meetings and of course it's during the day so not everybody can come but it's open to absolutely anyone and everyone and the people who do come regularly love it it sounds it sounds excellent and it sounds like the sort of thing that if you've got uh Perhaps even if you want to relive your own glory days, just to go along and have a bit crack. And I think I think that's what happens as well. That's a great point because we've had quite a number of ex-football players, particularly football players, who've talked about some of their experiences, and the stories are just fantastic. And incidentally, there's a there's one man crops up in every single football speaker's story, Brian Clough. It's remarkable the the influence that man had. It comes up in every single story. Fantastic. Well, what we've concentrated on is trying to get a speaker most sessions. So um, we have fortnightly sessions. And we'll have a speaker every other session usually, and that's always goes always goes down well. Yeah. And we just had this morning uh, Terry Farley, MBE, who quite unbelievably, has been a referee for 70 years. 70 years. So he talks about his, his start um, as a Furrier Hill, right through to going to the new Camp and uh, being a linesman on Barcelona against Juventus. Incredible story, really. Yeah. And he watched a young man at Maradona play at Hampden Park. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so what, what would your message be to anybody just kind of thinking about uh, yeah i mean please just just pop in just pop in um, 10 15 10 20 for a 10 30 start every other every other thursday if you've got any queries at all just contact the club and direct it to me uh and we'll, we'll happily have a chat with you beforehand if, if if you so wish but really it should come through the door uh have a cup, cup of tea or coffee on us it's all of course free of charge in nice surroundings uh, and listen to some really interesting people. Uh, whether or not we've got a speaker, we've got some really interesting people in the audience. So and some great uh, people who have been active in one form or another in local sport. Excellent. Terry, thanks ever so much. Pleasure. That was Stuart Laundie speaking to Terry Jackson from Bishop Auckland Football Club about the club's Sporting Memories project. That was just a short extract of some of the fascinating stories about our local sporting heroes. But don't forget, if you would like to hear more from this year's Bishop Auckland Heritage Festival, you can go online to our website at www.bishopfm.com to hear more.